Okie Cokes. Let me introduce a really, really, she's probably one of my best friends. This is Joanna Horn, and she's going to be speaking to us today about failure. And I'm really excited to hear what she's going to say and what God's going to do. So I'm going to pass over. It would probably help if my notes were on the right page to start. So Katie asked me to come and speak about um, working through failure. She said, Joe, you know a lot about failure. (laughs) I said, it is true. Um, So she's asked me to come and speak to you guys today. I think I'm going to just pray for us before we start. That helps me. Father God, I just pray that you would just be with us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would speak into hearts and minds today, Lord. Um, Give me clarity and help us to have open ears and open minds to hear what it is that you want to say. Amen. So if you've been in this seminar stream throughout the week, you have actually heard talk about lots of people from the Bible who have experienced massive, massive failures in their life. Most importantly, we've been focusing a lot on King David, who we can, without going back over his story again today, adulterous murderer would sum up quite nicely. Although we all might have experienced failures, Probably none of us can tick both those boxes. I hope not. So we have a good example of somebody who actually has done even worse than us and actually was still called a man after God's own heart. But to start us off today, I thought, I'm always better if I tell a story. It helps me to sort of get into things. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my life to give you a little bit of context as to why Katie might have thought I might be able to speak on this subject. So... The honest truth is that when I was growing up, when I was a kid, when I was a young teenager, I was one of those kind of little goody-two-shoes girls that some of you are and some of you know. You've got them in your youth group, the little quiet kids, the shy ones. I know it doesn't sound true. I was really painfully shy, really, really quiet, and like really, really well-behaved. I like just was not the one to ever be in any trouble. I was actually a bit of a geeky kid as well. I was just as we were praying before, a couple of things dropped into my mind, and I thought, oh, do I have to tell them that? And I think Jesus said, yeah. So I'm just going to tell you. I was like, I had really bad hair. That is the truth. Now, I get compliments on my hair now. It makes me laugh, because honestly, growing up, I had really, really bad hair. And I think all the girls here understand the pain of this. It is. It's embarrassing. I had such bad hair that I was uncontrollable, that when I was about... Uh, maybe 13, I thought the answer would be to get a perm, like just one of those nice loose kind of coiled perms, and then my hair would be under control. This is what I thought. Unfortunately, my mum's friend was a hairdresser. You can feel where this is going, can't you? I came home with like the tightest granny perm you have ever seen. Honestly, I cried. I tried washing my hair, washing Nothing could be done with this. I had to go to school. I already had, I had bad hair before we started. Now I had catastrophic hair. It was so embarrassing. It was mortifying. And actually, I, I was teased for it. I was. I was bullied. I was picked on. A girl in my school who, years later, I met, she had become a Christian, given her life to the Lord, was uh, serving the church wonderfully. But at the time, she was mean. She used to call me Larry the Lamb and kick me in the corridor and try and trip me. It is honestly true. 
It's actually quite embarrassing. I can still feel the pain. It was bad. There were mirrors. I went to an all-girls school, so there was a lot of pretty girls, a lot of competition, mirrors everywhere around the school. Do you know what I used to do? I made an active choice that I would never look in a mirror while I was at school. The reason was that I thought if somebody saw me looking in a mirror, they would know that I knew how bad I looked. I did look bad. <laughs> but I didn't want, I thought at least there was some hope if people thought maybe I just hadn't realised how awful my hair was. Maybe I'd get home and be like, oh no, I should have done something about that. I thought if somebody sees me looking in a mirror, they'll know that I know how awful I look. I was not the most confident, cocky young woman. I think you may have managed to gather from this story. But I did love Jesus. So when I came towards the end of my A-levels, the truth was, being not very confident, I didn't really want to go to university. I, didn't, I just couldn't see how I was going to survive. So I came up with this great plan, this dodgy university plan. I would take a gap year, yes. And being a good Christian girl, I thought, I know what I can do. I can like go and serve the church for the year. This will be really easy. So... Um, I'd heard about the King's Arms Church in Bedford. I'm sure some of you have heard about it. Maybe you're from there. Um, And a lady called Philippa Stroud had set up a project there, um, outreaching to the homeless and the broken. And one of the things they had in this project was a discipleship house for young women. So I thought this would be quite safe. Uh, This is the sort of thing I could do. It was a bit like... Philippa Stroud, you, might, you guys might, I don't know if you've even heard of her, but she was like, like Adrian Holloway is to the gospel. It was like Philippa Stroud to the poor. She was really, really well known, really famous, a little bit like, wow. So having the opportunity to go and work with her would be like having the opportunity to go and be trained in evangelism by Adrian Holloway. I was well up for it. So I arrived at this project. My whole church has sent me. It's like, wow, this is my proudest moment in life. I have been there less than two weeks when I realized something, this something is not good news, I am pretty sure that I am pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. Now, some of you may have experienced failure. In fact, the truth is that all of us have. Most of you, your failures are something that maybe only you know about, or maybe just a few people. They can be kind of hidden and a bit secret, That is nice for you. This was not the case for me. This could not have been more public. I have been sent by my church to do this year away serving the poor. I'm in this house. I'm building relationships with all these vulnerable women. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) This is not going to go unnoticed. (laughs) I am not going to get through the next year without somebody noticing when a baby comes out of me. (laughs) This was not something that I could cover up. (laughs) So I had to own up. And I am not going to lie, this was the most painfully embarrassing experience of my life. My public failure, it was very, very public. Firstly, I had to tell Philippa, Now, she wasn't uh, directly managing the house that I was working at the time, so I obviously went to the woman who was, who said, we need to go and talk to her. I was like, man, do we have to? Can you just not tell her? She was very loving and gracious and clear and firm and truthful with me, and it was so embarrassing. I had to go back to my home church and tell their elders and their wives 
I had to go back to my parents and tell them. In fact, I had to go to like a family meeting gathered of the whole church and tell them because it wasn't like the sort of thing that can be kept secret. And they were lovingly wanting to care for me in this circumstance. Uh, but actually, it was really, really embarrassing. I'm there. Nobody knows. My friends are coming up to me. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I thought you were in Bedford. Wow, are you back already? What's going on? I was like, oh, you're going to find out in a minute. (laughs) Oh, man, so embarrassing. So I can honestly tell you that I do know something. In fact, when I went to collect my A-level results, we had like this evening that you go back for to get your certificates and whatever. Um, I waddle up onto the stage. (laughs) It is obvious. A woman who is sat behind my now husband, which was kind of nice to not be on my own, was whispering, and my brother, look, that girl's pregnant. And Rob turns around and is like, yeah, that's my wife. It's really embarrassing, because that is what everyone was saying. Look, that girl's pregnant. It couldn't have been more public. So I do know something about failure, but... As you can actually tell also by the fact that I'm standing here speaking today, that failure is not what has defined the rest of my life. In fact, failure is not who we are. A failure is an event. It is not your identity. A failure is not a person. It is not who you become. You might mess up big time. You might mess up small time. But actually, what we need to know is that is not who we are. So, For the rest of my time this morning, I'm just going to give you, um, I want to tell you three things. For those of you that are taking notes, I'm just going to give you a point of where we're going. I want to talk to you about three things that we need to know and three things, ways in which we, we might need to respond in the light of that information. So let's crack on. First, what do we need to know? We need to know who we are. If we know who we are, then we have got a chance of giving some context to the stuff that we have done. Because otherwise it can quickly become who we are if we let it. Let me read to you from Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 7. It says this, but because we were, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that bit in the middle? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. He doesn't say he's going to. doesn't say God will raise us up with Christ. It says he has done it. Do you know, when you give your life to Jesus, it it changes everything. It changes who we are. It redefines us. We are in Christ. Before we were dead in our sin. Before, actually, our mistakes did define us. 
That was our nature. We had a sinful nature. We were trapped. We were bound in sin. But if you've got Jesus reigning in your life, you are a new creation. You are born again. You are a child of the King. You are royalty. You have an eternal hope and an eternal future to be reigning with Christ in eternity. But actually, that reality is also reality now. It's this now and not yet that Kate was talking a bit about yesterday. You are somebody new. That defines everything. If you went for tea with the Queen, should you get invited to the palace? I've just watched the BFG. Has anybody seen it? It was really good. Amazing. In comes the BFG. They have to make massive tables for him out of the clocks and everything. He's chowing down his breakfast. The queen's all politely drinking her tea. The queen is not, if you go for tea with her, going to suddenly roll up her sleeves and start shoveling her food into her mouth with her hands. I've got five children. Cutlery can be a challenging thing to use in life. (laughs) One of my children, I keep thinking, maybe soon he will learn... Maybe he will master the art of cutlery. When he was five, I thought maybe soon. When he was 10, I thought maybe soon. He is 18. It does not always happen. (laughs) He's shaking his head at me on the front right now. He really hates me. (laughs) Sorry, son. (laughs) I guarantee you, if you go for dinner with the queen, she is not going to be piling in with her fingers. She knows what all those rows of cutlery are for. Why? We can be confident in knowing that that's how she'll behave because we know who she is. She's the queen. She knows who she is. It would not occur to her to, you know, ooh, egg, fried egg with my hands. I mean, how do you even do that? I don't know. (laughs) I watch it daily. I have no idea. Do you know, if we know who we are, then we act accordingly. It actually frees us and releases us to behave in a different way. If we think we are defined by this failure, this habit, this thing that we feel like we're stuck in, if we believe that that is who we are, then we're just going to keep on doing it. We're not going to be able to stop. We're not going to be able to change. The first thing you need to know if you want to be able to move on from failures in your life, is to know who you are. Because if you know who you are in Christ, actually it's a game changer. It changes everything. I feel this horrible feeling that I'm going to go over time today. I'm going to really try. Okay, moving swiftly on. How? How can it be true that we can be forgiven, that we can be royal, that we can be in Christ? What does it carry on to say in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9? It is for grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's just not about us. It's all about Jesus. It has to be. The only hope for freedom in our lives, the only hope for reigning in Christ, 
which reigning in Christ does sound like sort of the opposite to hopeless failure, doesn't it? The only hope is through the grace of God. I was preparing yesterday, and I thought, I'd just better read over again the story of David. I'm not going to particularly be retelling it, but I better just have a look. And I came across what I now think might be one of the most scandalous verses in the Bible. It just jumped out, and it hit me. I'm going to read it to you. It's 2 Samuel 22, 21 to 25. Bearing in mind, as we've just discussed, adulterous murderer. Yeah, this is the context. This is what this man has just done. You know, it's... My eldest son is 21. The story I just told you at the beginning about, you know, the pregnancy. That was 21 years ago. It actually is still something I haven't forgotten. I'm aware of. It is part of my history. David had not forgotten what he had done. And yet, he writes this psalm, this song of praise to God. And right in the middle of it, it says this. It's really shocking. It says, For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. How can he say that? That is pretty cheeky. He actually forced a woman to sleep with him, got her pregnant, and then murdered her husband. I have kept all his decrees. I am blameless. What even is that? It is shocking. Each one of us can stand before God and say those words. Because our blamelessness, our sinlessness, our righteousness is not a righteousness of our own making. It's a gift from God. David knew who he was. He knew who he was. That is how he could live this life. That's how he could make these absolutely shocking statements. The people that were hearing this, they all knew what he had done. It wasn't like a secret. They knew. And they heard him say, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. It's absolutely mind-blowing. It really is. David knew. David knew who he was and what God had done for him. He knew that he had the righteousness of God. It's, it's releasing stuff if we can get our heads around it. Psalm 94, 1, 17 to 18 says, Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. It's not that our feet don't slip. It's not that our feet haven't slipped. And for sure, it is not that they're not going to. Your feet are going to slip, but it is the Lord who supports me. So, third point, why? Why, why, why do we need to know this? Partly, it is for our own good. It is because it is good for us to be free, to know who we are in Christ. But, you know, there's much more to the gospel than that. God graciously uses the weak to shame the wise. What does that mean? It means that he demonstrates who he is through our lives. We are on a gospel mission. 
we come to New Day, and it's kind of, it's a nice Christian bubble, isn't it? It's lovely for a week every year. We get to just soak in God's presence. We get to be built up. We get to be encouraged. We get to hear great truths like you've been hearing in this seminar all week in the main meetings. It's lovely. You are going home tomorrow. Who is going to be Christ to your friends? Who is going to be Christ to your family? It's you, weak vessels. It's you. This is God's manifold wisdom. I have to say, I would not choose it. It does not make any sense to me. When I look at me, I think, I wouldn't use me to show how amazing God is. How is that even possible? But the truth is that God actually does know better than us. And by using you in your weakness and brokenness to display the glory and grace and majesty of Jesus, that is more powerful than we will ever know. In this lifetime, we will never understand. You are just never going to know the lives that you've affected, the people that have looked at you and seen Christ in you. When we read about Moses, also, incidentally, made a lot of mistakes really didn't trust God that much, really kind of fearful guy, bit of a grumbler himself at times. When we read about him in the New Testament, we have this wonderful scripture that talks about, it refers back to him when he came down the mountain after being in God's presence and his face was shining and he had to put a veil over it because everyone was scared. Let's be honest, you would be, wouldn't you? Actually glowing shiny face man, bit freaky. But then it says we with unveiled faces... We display the glory of God. Not by the stuff you do. Yes, sometimes by the stuff you do. Not just by the stuff you say, although sometimes by the stuff you say, but by being you, who you are, who God has made you to be, you display the glory of God. You are different because you have a new identity. Christ is in you. You actually can't help it. Jesus leaks out of you when you don't even realize he is on display. We know it's true because it's what the Bible tells us. He chooses to use you to reach this broken generation. So, I have no idea what the time is. Why it's five to okay. Right. Three ways in the light of this. I realize I've just touched on, we've got very little time, I've just touched on some really, really big topics Okay, I've not been able had the time to go into depth on any of them. I'm pointing you in a direction. And now I want to point you in three more directions. How do we respond? How might we need to respond in the light of our own failings and in the light of the gospel of grace? Sometimes our failings, the ways in which we can fail, are issues of... Um, so just to do with achievements in life, you might fail an exam. You might fail uh, to make some kind of sports team. I don't really know about sports, but, you know, that could happen, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, and that's, that can be hard in itself. Please, I don't, I'm not dismissing those things. That can be hard in itself. But sometimes we fail because of sin in our life. We fail because we've not trusted God. We've not been obedient to him. And actually, as a Christian, that can feel like a really big issue, a really big problem for us in our lives. So how can we respond? As a parent, 
there are lots of conversations that I have had over the last 21 years that I've had many, 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 many times. The same conversation over and over and over. Yes, you do have to eat your peas. Yes, you do. I can't remember what are they. Oh, yeah. Put your shoes on. Put your shoes on. Please put your shoes on. Even now. It, I mean, honestly, most of them are adults. Put your shoes on. We need to get in the car. We are late. We are always late. Always everywhere we go. Really, really late. No, you cannot eat chocolate cake for breakfast. Actually, that's a lie. I say, yes, you can eat chocolate cake for breakfast. I actually believe that is a breakfast. I'm all for that. I really, I was just, I'm just having you on. <laughs> yes, you can eat chocolate cake for breakfast. That actually is true, isn't it? That is actually what we say in our family. But there is one conversation I have had more than any other. And it goes like this. What do you need to say? Sorry. That is not an apology. (laughs) I have said this more than anything else in my life. How do we apologize, I say? I'm not wanting to tell them what to say. I want it. I hope that one day it will come from within, that they will have learned and they will actually want to apologize for whatever the one of many hundreds and thousands of things they have done that it might be. They actually know how to apologize but at that moment, it is as if I am saying new words that they have never heard before. What do you mean? What I have said sorry. I have said sorry, actually. Sorry, It's a very long word when you're very cross. <laughs> Apologizing isn't saying sorry. Repentance isn't saying sorry. The first step is to say I did it. So just saying sorry, really, is kind of meaningless. You need to be able to say what you are saying sorry for. I am sorry that I hit my sister with a sword. (laughs) Very commonly. You have to own it. You have to admit it. Otherwise, to be honest, it's just not real, is it? It's not real if you don't, can't even admit what you've done. Do you know, sometimes we need to admit to ourselves the honest truth. This is so embarrassing. When I went to see Philippa Stroud, I am actually pregnant. Not now, then. I was. No, never again. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to see her, I was honestly trying to sort of pretend. I was deceiving myself. I was lying to myself that we hadn't really entirely actually had sex. It's true, it's true. I mean, we had, obviously. <laughs> but it's true that I was, I was believing this lie. We only sort of did it a little bit. <laughs> honestly, what an idiot. <laughs> she must have, oh, shook her head. I met her, I meet her quite often, actually, years later. But the first time I met her after many years, you know you're having that moment, I really hope she does not recognise me. This is so embarrassing. She, she definitely knew exactly who I was. Oh, hi, Joe. Oh, lovely, lovely to meet you again. How's things going? Oh, just so embarrassing. I honestly was trying to pretend like, oh, I'm pregnant. I haven't really, like, done it. 
plainly had. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really, what was I thinking? It was denial. Sometimes we need to admit it to ourselves that we're in a mess, that we've messed up. Sometimes we need to admit it to somebody else. Sometimes we need to confess. We don't always need to confess, but sometimes we need to. Sometimes that actually helps us to share with somebody else. It helps us to find a way out of our mess, particularly if we're really stuck. Particularly if it's the kind of failure, the kind of issue that we come back to over and over again. We need help. We're in the body of Christ. We're there to love and care for one another. Do you know the truth is people just don't judge you. I was so embarrassed by my sin, by my mistakes. People were just so nice. It was actually embarrassing. They were so kind. They gave me what I didn't deserve. They gave me grace and kindness and love and mercy. Sometimes we need to apologize to somebody else. Not always. If you have been gossiping behind your friend's back, you do not necessarily need to go to them and say, I am so sorry, Beth. I have been saying terrible things about you. She didn't know. That's not going to make her feel better. That doesn't help her. Just stop doing it. We don't always need to apologize. If you are not sure whether you need to apologize to somebody, ask somebody who will know. There are people in your churches, there are people who will be able to say, no, that is not helpful. It might make you feel better. It's not going to help them. Don't do it. But sometimes we actually do need to apologize for the things that we've done. Secondly, very briefly, we talked about this, Kate talked about this yesterday, we need to forgive ourselves. We need to accept God's forgiveness, but actually we need to forgive ourselves. It is not nice. It is, in fact, stupid to live your life beating yourself up for the things that you've done because then you just end up still stuck. You feel you're really sorry, you're repentant, but you can't forgive yourself. That gets you just as stuck. You're not on God's hook anymore. You're off the hook, but you're on your own. You must, must forgive yourself. Thirdly and finally, before we respond and pray, God always brings restoration. He does. He is so full of grace and mercy. He restores us, but we have a part to play in that. The Christian life is all about pressing on, running the race, keeping on going, enduring, persevering, God restores us. He actually doesn't make us, all right, you did this stupid thing, okay. When you have done this, this, and this, then you're mostly forgiven. And then when you've done this, this, and this, then I might let you, like, pray for somebody. And when you've done this, this, and this, then you might be able to, I don't know, serve on the teas and coffees at church. We don't have to earn our way back in. God restores us. King David, we just, I just read what he said. I mean, just scandalous stuff unbelievable. His guilt is gone. His sin is gone. He is blameless. He has kept all the Lord's commands. He didn't, but in Christ he has. And that is true for us. We are blameless. We can just get up and keep running. We don't have to um, earn our way back. We just need to have our eyes fixed on him. I'm just going to finish with reading Psalm 1 verses 1 to 3 which I did not put a bookmark in for, because I'm silly. It says this. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Written by David again. One who does not walk in step with the wicked. He really, really messed up. One who does not stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. He had made these errors. He had made really big errors. But he knows that there's restoration. That actually he can delight in the Lord. He can meditate on the word. He becomes like a tree planted by streams of water. Whatever he does prospers. God wants to use you. He wants to use you to reach this generation. We are all broken. We, are all, we have all sinned, but we are no longer sinners. We are free. Our identity is in Jesus, and we're called to press on, to run the race, to chase after him. Could you just stand with me? We're going to have an opportunity to respond now. It actually really helps us to do something active. We're not passive in our walk with God. We're running the race. And for some of you, your response is to actually say before the Lord, I did it, to admit the trouble that you've got yourself into, the mistakes that you've made, your errors. Maybe you need to admit that to somebody else. Maybe you just need to admit that to the Lord. Some of you need to forgive yourselves. A lot, of, a, a lot of you wrestled with this issue yesterday, but even still today, some of you need to forgive yourselves for the mistakes that you've made. For some of you, you just need to say, yes, Lord, I am going to run this race. I'm going to move on. When we repent, we're turning our back on that sin. We're turning away. We're going in a different direction. I, f- I felt as I was praying that for some of you, that is going to mean um, needing to make a really active choice to cut some stuff off. Maybe to not be with some people, or maybe to not go to some places, or maybe to not do some things anymore. There's a cost for you in that. That is not an easy thing to do. But some of you need to make that decision, not just to enjoy this lovely bubble of this week, but when you get back home, to actually make some hard choices that you're going to live your life in a different way. I just had one word yesterday as well that I wanted to share before we, um, before we pray for you guys. Uh, my youngest daughter's favourite movie for many years was The Polar Express. And at the end... Um, the, the tickets that they've been given, they, they get a word stamped in them. And one girl gets her ticket back and she reads it, L-E-A-D. And she says, lead? Like a lead balloon? And the ticket master says, no, lead. And I feel that for some of you, 
you hear this stuff and you think, oh, no, really, this is what has been spoken over me. You believe a lie and you need to hear, no, no, grace, not works, grace, it's for you. No, no, you don't have to earn it, it's mercy. It really is forgiveness. It really is acceptance. God really has got a call on your life. Maybe he is calling you to lead. Maybe it literally is lead. Don't misunderstand God. Hear his voice. Accept what he is saying to you. We've got loads of red caps in the room now. I just want to give you the opportunity. If you feel like you want to, I've cast the net really quite wide here because I don't want to say, oh, if you have some sin to confess, put up your hands on. (laughs) Now if you need to forgive someone or forgive yourself, put up your hands. No, I've cast the net really wide. I've laid it out so that actually you can respond without people being like, oh, I know why they're putting their hands up. What's their secret sin? Yeah. But if you feel that God has spoken to you this morning, if you feel that there's some stuff you want to walk away from in freedom, then just raise your hands now and the prayer team will come around and they will minister to you.